Welcome to Blessed and Kept. As I mentioned before, my wife and I made the decision to quit our jobs and sell our house and move into a van and travel around visiting friends and family for a year, taking a Sabbath year. And I've been working on an essay that kind of describes our thinking as to why we felt like this was an important thing to do. So this essay for today is entitled, We Loved Our Life, Now We Live in a Van. You can find a printed version of this essay at certaindepth.com, and you can also follow us along on our journey on Instagram at livinginjubilee. Those links will be in the description below. We have an incredible ability to suck the soul out of simple pleasures by rushing through them. We set timers for meditation. We are given 25 minutes to eat lunch. I'm going to read, journal, knit, listen to music, play basketball, walk, do this thing that I love for one hour, and then I'll do all these things that I need to get done. Notice the phrase we use get done. The things on our must-do list, laundry, dishes, job, exercise, hobby we're trying to monetize, these things need to get done. It becomes especially dangerous when the same thought processes sneak into things on our other to-do lists. Family time, rest, self-care, meandering chats with a friend. I worked the lunch shift serving tables at Olive Garden a few years ago. And an easily categorized conglomeration of guests eat at Olive Garden for lunch. You get the business meetings and the corporate employees. Good tippers, but they're boring to serve. There's the self-employed and part-timers. They stay longer and they're fun to chat with. They're lunch dates, fun to serve when it's going well even better when it's going poorly. And the reconnectors, old friends who haven't spoken in a while. A pair of reconnectors stuck with me. Two women, 15 to 20 years apart, not related. The older had prepared a list of topics she wanted to cover during their lunch. She kept the list written on paper with a pen next to her plate so she could check off topics to ensure everything was sufficiently discussed. It was the most awkward conversation I have ever had the privilege of floating in and out of. The whole thing was forced and contrived. What she had done, in an attempt to make their time together as full of connection as possible, was squeeze out the magic of conversation, spontaneity. The whole conversation became about production, We could explore this topic over here that's related, but we really need to get to this next topic first. The reconnection needed to get done. We did not receive the feedback we were expecting. 
when we decided to quit our jobs, leave a life we loved, and move into a van, we expected some people to think it was awesome. But we thought a lot of people, especially our parents, would express consternation at the irresponsibility of this adventure. Instead, the most negative feedback we've received is, oh, I couldn't do it. But that was usually about the van itself, not the taking a year off of work. Van life is not for everyone. Taking a year off every seven years? I can't imagine that's detrimental for anyone. I understand that it's not financially possible for many people to do what we are doing. You have kids, student loans, car payments, and live in a society that has made it very difficult to put anything significant into retirement or even savings. Until the future imagined by Star Trek arrives where money doesn't exist, money is necessary for survival. And many people do not have the luxury we did of having no debts other than a mortgage and the pure luck of deciding to sell our home during a housing boom. So allow me to say at the outset, I understand how lucky we are to be able to do what we are doing. And yet, I believe a world is possible in which it is normal to take significant amounts of time off of work. Let's examine an oft unanswered question. What is it for? What is work for? What is rest for? If work is to fuel pleasure, we're doing it wrong. We work too much and play too little for that to be the case. If work is to achieve security in life, we're doing it wrong. We are quite untrusting, even with all the security our work, money, and possessions afford. In fact, the more security we gain, the more anxious we seem to become about keeping it making us insecure, if not physically, psychologically. If work is to find greater satisfaction in life, we're doing it wrong. Every motivational speaker and business guru found on YouTube can summarize their online course and free ebook in one sentence. Never stop hustling. Apparently, the work is the satisfaction we're supposed to gain and it is never enough. Now, if work is to determine our worth to society, placing us on a ladder we're meant to climb, using our station to compare ourselves to others, the way we're doing it seems about right. Of course, it's reductionist, but really, how far off is it? Now, rest. If rest is to fuel our work, we're doing it wrong. Have you ever made it to the end of your day off, dreading to have to go back to work? We don't rest enough to actually see any productivity gains. If rest is a virtue in and of itself, as a rising self-care culture tells us, we're doing it wrong. Average time off per year is 18 days, including holidays. About 260 days per year are Mondays through Fridays, though many people rarely take weekends off. Less than 7% of those Mondays through Fridays, we take off. Even if we more than doubled that amount, 
to 40 days per year, which by the way, would only make the US offer more time off than the highest countries by two to four days, it would still constitute less than 15% of all Mondays through Fridays. Ours is not a culture that views rest as a virtue in and of itself. We could simply choose to work less. We could choose jobs that offer the ability to take more time off. We could choose to work part-time. But with that choice would come many other choices. Not being able to afford health insurance. Having to stick to a budget more ardently. Not being able to buy things we want. Living in a smaller apartment or house. Having fewer vehicles. Not being able to travel to say nothing of how we would be viewed by those around us for making such a choice. Our entire society is built on production and consumption. It is anathema to think in terms of enough. Even living in a van, the consumption economy attempts to rope us in. Chasing a simple life? Here are some products that can help you do that. Start Googling tiny houses and van life for a few days, and you'll start to see the ads for products that give you the simple life you're chasing. Getting into minimalism? Check out these organizers. It is into this never-enough lifestyle that Sabbath speaks so loudly. The literal translation of the Hebrew word Shabbat is to stop, to cease. Sabbath calls us to stop. Stop producing. Stop consuming. Stop viewing your peers as competition. Stop living out of a scarcity mindset. The greatest gift is the ability to love and be loved in return. The greatest gift we have is each other, the neighborhood. Sabbath is a weekly reminder that we exist to love and be loved more than we exist to produce and consume goods and services. Taking a Sabbath year is our declaration that life is more than what we can produce. When our van Jubilee arrived, we began the process of funneling our possessions through a needs and wants metric. There's something cathartic about ridding ourselves of collected items that don't fit through the funnel. We moved into Jubilee and hit the road. The first thing I noticed was how much the production consumption mindset had permeated every facet of life. A primary point of the Sabbath year in a van was to rest, to stop, to enjoy life. So we made travel plans lightly. Nothing was set in stone. Even after several months in Jubilee, I still catch myself thinking destinationally. We need to leave by 10 so we can get to John's by tomorrow evening. Wow, that thing looks cool, but we can't stop because we're headed to the museum right now. We need to do X, Y, and Z because that was the plan. And if we don't do these things, or at least similarly awesome things, then we will have failed the day. I think this is why it has been so difficult for me to write this essay. My body was rejecting the deadline I had placed on myself to 
get something done. Sabbath is not only a physical reminder that we are not cogs in a machine, the habit also works to rewire our brains to think differently about everything. Even several months into our Sabbath year, the production consumption mindset creeps in often. And this happens even easier when we are not intentional about the mindset we want to replace with the production consumption mindset. The production consumption mindset emboldens suspicion, turning peers into competitors and fostering selfish action in the name of getting ahead, never bothering to ask what or whom we are meant to get ahead of. If the production consumption mindset forces the belief that we must get ahead, Sabbath encourages us to prioritize other things maybe even allowing those priorities to impact the production consumption economy in which we participate all other days of the week. Sabbath observance fosters a neighborly mindset. In a neighborly mindset, all people are equals because the hierarchy in the world comes from the production consumption mindset. In a neighborly mindset, wasting time on frivolous play is a virtue. In a neighborly mindset, the well-being of others is my well-being because we cannot thrive individually. A thriving neighborhood means everyone can thrive. Which might mean thriving looks different than I thought. It might mean I don't own as much stuff that I perceive as contributing to my thriving. It might mean I no longer have the nicest house, best car, and fanciest clothes. But it also likely means that these things matter less because I no longer exist in competition. I exist in mutual benevolence with the neighborhood. Though conceptually quite simple, the neighborly mindset is challenging to step into. A huge benefit of our Sabbath year in Jubilee is we get 365 days in a row to practice. Most people get one in seven. My sincere hope is that this year teaches us to live well in the neighborly mindset. And for those less stubborn who may not need a full Sabbath year to step into a neighborly mindset, I hope you consider taking one anyway. May you find your brother where you previously saw your enemy. May you see your sister where you previously saw your competition. May you find true rest because you finally see your value in non-numerical terms. May you become a good neighbor as if it was the most important work in which you could engage. May God bless you and keep you. May the face of Jesus shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the fullness of the Spirit dwell within you and give you peace.